Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 159. And my guest this week is Lauren Denizio of the band Warriors. They have a brand new record that comes out this Friday, September 15th. It's called Trust Your Gut. I recently got to see them live here in L.A., and uh, they played a lot of these new songs. It was quite good. Quite, quite good. This record is awesome. They have a full U.S. tour in support of the record, which kicks off September 26th at the legendary 924 Gilman. You can check dates and uh, order that record over at warriorsmusic.com. Also, I want to let you know, if you're new here, there's a bonus episode available right now where Lauren answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that episode, plus a ton of other bonus content. Help support the show. You can subscribe for just a little bit more, and then you get the ability to submit questions to upcoming guests, find out who's coming on before anybody else, get all of the uh, access that you ever wanted. And hey, as always, if you enjoy this, please subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, leaving a positive rating and review. All of these sorts of things very, very, very much help and are very, very, very appreciated. Um, all right, without further ado, here is my conversation with the excellent, the charming, the very talented, the very considerate, the very thoughtful. It's Lauren Dinizio. What's up, Lauren? It's nice to see you. Good morning. Hi, Jeremy. Yeah, good morning. Nice, nice to hang. Um, it's funny to start this. I, I rarely start with just uh, actually real quick before I do this. Are you in California right now? Yes. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. So I woke up to all this news about a hurricane. That's what I was looking at as as you and I were were setting up this call, doing some troubleshooting. And I'm looking out the window and I'm like, it just looks like a hot day outside. What's the story? I don't understand. Clear blue sky. Clear blue sky. Like right now, I'm getting texted from like people in my band being like, let's see if this festival we're supposed to play next week is going to happen. You know, like all of this yeah. stuff. I'm like, this just looks like a hot day outside. I don't no, understand. No, it's totally normal. Like, yeah, it's supposed to hit Sunday. But meanwhile, being from the East Coast, I'm going to be like, Oh, so you mean a storm? <laughs> right, like, totally. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
we'll see. I, I'm I'm very baffled by this whole thing. Like, and also my uh, you have you have pets, right? Yes. My my dog is currently like cowering by my feet under my oh. desk right now, which is oh, something no. that is also odd. So maybe she's sensing something's up. Yeah, potentially the animals will know first. She'll, yeah, she'll know. She'll know before we do. Okay. Well, if people listening, um, if uh, you start hearing, you know, big a big ruckus behind us, know that this is our final recording, and um, <laughs> <laughs> this is how it ended for 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 the Lauren apocalypse. and I. Yep. Um, yo. So I don't know if I totally have this right. So because you know, with like doing research for this episode, are you from New Jersey? Are you from New York? Where are you from originally? <laughs> I'm I'm from New Jersey. I grew yeah. up in New Jersey, but I di- I lived in Brooklyn for like a decade. So okay, yeah, because uh, I forget if it was the measure or if it was for Warriors. Where I think like somewhere online it says like Brooklyn based. So I that's where I was a little yeah. confused on which one that might have been. Um, okay, so New Jersey originally. Which part? Uh. Bridgewater, technically Martinsville, but it's like a, a teeny tiny town in Bridgewater Township. Okay, so this like, is me not apparently knowing much about New Jersey when I thought I did. So what what would be like the nearest bigger city? Is that like a New Brunswick or is that a like where are we at? It it was like twenty minutes. It is twenty minutes north of uh of New Brunswick. Okay, um, yeah. okay, but like s- suburban to New York, you know, like that would be the the biggest. It was that's like forty minutes away, forty forty five minutes. Okay, okay. So when you were like starting to go to shows and stuff like that, did you find yourself traveling to actual New York more often than anything? Um, I actually started going to local shows before I started going to like bigger concerts. So yeah. I definitely went to a lot of shows in New Jersey. But if a band, if like a bigger band were playing, it would be it would be New York. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. I, I romanticize that so much. Like I'm, I've never lived on the East coast and I have, I love New York so much. And I, I do wonder what that was like for someone who was living in New Jersey. Like, did that seem intimidating or did it just seem like a normal thing to do to just like get on public transit and go to the big city? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, it wasn't something I was able to do until I was like 16, 17. So yeah, I don't. I definitely think I still romanticized it too. It was technically normal, but yeah. um, you know, it was it was definitely a really fun thing to do by myself. Like I'm I'm gonna go see Rancid by myself on right. the train. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I that that cool. makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you this: So when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically? that felt like it was yours maybe not something that was being played in the house by uh by some sort of parental figure but um but something that you found on your own that maybe gave you a sense of your own identity oh well i it it was a lot of different things because i was of the generation of like columbia house so being able to to just get a like get a bunch of music I hadn't heard before. Um, but I I do remember that the first song that was out that I made this conscious decision that was like, oh, this is my favorite. I think this is my favorite song was um, Hey Jealousy by the Jim Blossoms. So it's a ripper. Yeah, I still love it. It's I still love a great it. song. The yeah. whole album rules. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like right about that time that like radio rock you know was was 
um, new to me and exciting to me. And that was, that was my thing of like, uh, Jim Blossoms and then also Stone Temple Pilots. Okay. Um, I think the first cassette I bought, like the full album was actually Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's that, all kind of blurring. Yeah, that's that's my that's usually my next question, which is like the first record you under you remember buying yourself. And I mean, Jagged Little Pill, that makes sense, especially with this timeline of, of these bands. For some couple pilots, would that have been core? Probably that first record? I think so. That timeline's right. I know that yeah. the first one I was really like into was um, Songs of the and Gift Shop. Oh, OK. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah. Um, Man. It's so funny. I was just having this conversation yesterday. Have you found now that you and I are older, we both grew up in that same exact era. Have you come around to songs that you dismissed when you were that age that like now, maybe because music has, you know, popular music is the way it is. And maybe now you're just more, I don't know. I mean, I guess nostalgia plays into it, but just like maybe you underestimated how good the song might've been. I don't know. I think what's weird is that i didn't start being very dismissive or like too cool for school until like later so i don't i don't remember thinking that i wasn't into songs that were really popular back then i think yeah i or maybe just like yeah maybe there was a song i know what you're talking about yeah 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 like I mean, uh, uh, one that I've brought up, I think probably even on here before is like, I remember uh, it was like maybe a little later in the 90s, like when the Wallflowers came out. I was oh. super, like, I was super just like fucking yeah. soft rock shit. But like, yo, those two singles they had are bangers. Yeah. You know? That was the first record that a friend gave me. Somebody gave me that Wallflower CD when I was in middle school. Okay. And they're like, I think you'd like this. And I was like, this is cool. I was, you know, I was definitely into it, but maybe not as much as some of the stuff that I chose myself. Sure. So maybe that is a good, maybe that is yeah. a good example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I don't, um, that's such a good question because I do, I do think that looking back, there is an increased appreciation for that stuff. I think maybe if anything, I've ended up looking back on it and realized that like, I didn't necessarily keep listening to certain bands. Whereas now, like as an adult, I'm like, that Bush record's really good. Right. Really? (laughs) Like, and, and I don't know why I didn't keep following that or like soul asylum, the, like the songs that were the hits. That's like, they're a good band, but I like just didn't. Side, with it. side a of grave dancers union is just hit after hit yeah. after hit yeah that's that's a, <laughs> I, I love soul asylum but uh yeah no it's funny like i i have a lot of friends who maybe weren't into pearl jam you know in the 90s oh, or whatever yeah. but, but then now that they're older they're like you know what i can't deny you know like certain things like that like i love pearl jam i love i love yeah. all that stuff but um I mean, an example just the other day, like a band that I have always respected, but I just like never spent time with was Tool. Like I just oh, like was, uh-huh. I was always just I was always just like, eh, you know, yeah. like eh, 
it's, it's not not really for me but for whatever reason just at the right time the songs i listened to the song sober and i was like wait a minute the song is <laughs> is this maybe one of the best songs of all time oh, so that's great. it's just funny how that can happen just like when you distance yourself from something and then hear mm-hmm. it with kind of fresh ears even though it's been in your life for so long yeah i definitely think i actually would like to revise my answer that i think the the band that i didn't um I just didn't get into like really into was Foo Fighters. Okay, um, sure. And and now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I I may have messed up. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you know what's but. funny is uh, I can become dismissive of something if it seems too happy, and it's one of those things where I'm like, I just don't like seeing Dave Grohl smile that much. <laughs> you know, like Foo Fighters sounds like Dave Grohl smiling. Yeah. That you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I mean, I think I think it's more like looking back on the band that like, oh, why wasn't I also into that? Like, why didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, f- invest not, a little bit more. But yeah, no. Is, it's, I don't know. Yeah, this this isn't me doxing Pat Smear or anything like that. But I so we just played a festival in Europe a couple weeks back, and Foo Fighters were on it, and. Pat Smear was in the catering area, so I was like, I mean, I'm gonna fucking say something to this you man. You have to, yeah. So I uh, I went up with my bass player and just went up and was like, hey, you know, because to us we're like, this is a fucking member of Nirvana. <laughs> um, so we just very quickly like, you know, told him we appreciate what he did, and he was super friendly and was like, come get coffee with me, and like invited us to walk with him to grab a coffee, and so he's like, where in LA are you? I'm like glendale and we he's like where in glendale i'd give him my streets and i live pretty close to dan ozzy i'm like right down the street oh right yeah yeah uh he pretty much lives between dan ozzy and i no which i was just like i can't believe i haven't seen this man right around you know but then we started doing that what are your spots kind of thing and he told me he told me his (laughs) go-to's and whatever else and it makes sense because we do go to different places yeah but now that i know his places it's it's gonna hard i was gonna say his place is now your place yeah i'm gonna be popping my head in a little bit (laughs) but totally fucking blew my mind you know because i love that this is like a nice neighborhood but you still i would still imagine him as like a beverly hills guy or something you know yeah no i i found out that um uh a couple a couple people live in kind of my neck of the woods like glassell park eagle rock and i'm like what so what yeah yeah you know. yeah <laughs> who knew i have to imagine at this point i mean the, and apologies to people listening who are like oh god are we doing the la suburb conversation but like it's so funny how i i have to imagine especially over these last couple of years how many people just want to get out of the obvious like beverly hills area because there's just so much quieter spaces yeah. in the outside like where you and i are where it's just like yeah there's like it's just quiet here you know? I think I think that's always the conversation I have with people when they're like, "How did you? Why did you move to LA? You like it there? What?" I'm like, "Yeah, I didn't move to like Beverly West Hills Hollywood. or something. Yeah, I didn't yeah. move to West Hollywood. I moved to like a quiet, I don't know, yeah. just a kind of a suburban neighborhood that has a lot of coffee shops. I don't know. Like it's totally. really nice. Yeah, but it's, it's so- not. Yeah, it's not the same vibe at all." That's, I feel like, one of the biggest issues, and this is where we can bring in listeners. So if you're, if anyone listening is, like, considering moving to Los Angeles, don't move to, like, a West Hollywood or, or like, uh, like Koreatown or something like that. So, like, make sure you're moving somewhere that has parking, 
you know? Yeah. Because, like, you're going to be very lonely if you move to a place where no one can visit you because there's nowhere to park. You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? No, like, your, your friends will straight up not... I mean, you can live 10 minutes from your friends, but if there's not parking, no, yeah. you will never see anyone. Yeah. Uh, one of my best friends in the world, Joey Cahill, who was a part oh, of 613 yeah. Records, who I know you've worked with, uh, he was always an Orange County guy because 6131 was the address of their house in Huntington Beach way oh. back in the day. So that's the backstory. And so it was so funny when he randomly was like, a bunch of years back was like, hey, guess what? I'm finally moving to L.A. And I was so excited. Then he told me he was like where it was. It was basically by the Grove. And I was like, you might as what? well live in Huntington Beach. No, just like, don't do that. Why would you do that? It's yeah. going to take just as long to see you in in Beverly Hills as it would be to drive to fucking uh, Huntington Beach. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, I guess for listeners, it's like if somebody said like, I'm moving to New York staten island like why this is not that's that's not helpful <laughs> we're speaking different languages yeah, yeah exactly um so you're someone who has who does a lot of graphic design and you've done a lot of album covers so i didn't have this in your uh in your questionnaire that i sent you uh but i wonder if just off the top of your head you have an answer for this which is do you remember the first time you connected with album art that maybe struck Ooh. a nerve with you that made you be like "Ooh, this is actually you know just as important as the music oh that's such a good question that um because i'm trying to think because it i i will say that it probably wasn't super early on because i was looking at all the album artwork on like cassette size oh sure you know um, the most bastardized version of right what yeah it's like this is yeah. not this is not the album cover yeah um i think um, I mean, either, either, honestly, the cover of Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop by Stone Temple Pilots, because that was wild. Um, or, or like Green Day Dookie, like that, you know, but just because it's an illustration that has so many tiny little details. I'm like, some effort went into this. Like, this is not just the band photo on the cover. Um, Dookie, Dookie's a great shout because I'm with you where like that's an album cover that you as a kid a it's like it appeals to a kid because it's a cartoon looking thing but then b yeah because you can just get lost finding new things in it every time you look at it yeah no for sure um and then and then my next go-to would be uh, uh London Calling that's oh like, what oh yeah yeah know, yeah just a striking photo yeah well it's it's a photo and then the then also the the topography on it the the design of it is really that's just memorable to me as like an early album yeah. cover for me that, isn't it am i wrong is it a play off of maybe an elvis cover or something like that yes it's yeah i don't i'm forgetting what it is specifically but it's definitely it's their interpretation of another album right cover. Right, right. I, that's funny. That was one of those things that I didn't catch until I was like, or yeah. I didn't realize until I was much older. In the same way of like, what is it? Uh, Lifetime's Hello Bastards is uh, House Martin's ripoff. Oh yeah, which is see, the, but these are the, things I'd like forget about too. Like you know them, but then yeah. Yeah. It's just funny when you're older and you're maybe going through a record, you're in a record store and then you see the original cover and you're like, wait a minute, my wait whole minute, mind yeah. is like, <laughs> this wasn't an original <laughs> design. Yeah. 
Uh, what was the first concert you went to? Oh, um, the first concert I went to that was, so I guess I technically have two answers to this. Okay. So the first, the first show I went to was, uh, let's go bowling at a shitty nightclub in New Jersey where they had like an all ages matinee night kind of thing. So I went to see this, this ska band, let's go bowling and another local band called foil who were like ska core. <laughs> so I was going to ska shows and it was because my, um, one of my friends in high school that, that she was dating someone in this band called face first. I'm almost positive. It's had to be my first show that face first was also playing that show. Um, and they went on to become this, this pop-up band, um, Houston calls. Um, but so that, that was my first like local thing. And then my first concert concert was, um, a free summer show where, uh, Eve six played. Okay. So I saw Eve completely random, like not something I sought out. It was like, all my friends are going, I'm going to this like summer camp thing and we're all going to go walk downtown and go to summer sta- the summer stage in that city. Um, yeah, so I saw Eve 6. It makes no sense. Was there anything between those two shows that stood out to you as like a juxtaposition where it was like, like, did you did either of those shows make you feel differently about live music? Oh, completely. Because I mean, I think even then, when I was starting to like listen to punk rock and like go to local shows, there was 100% the difference between like local bands. And then there were the big bands and there were, you know, like the mainstream stuff on the radio. And those sorts of shows were just so, so different. They were like completely two different worlds. Um, And at the Eve 6 show, I actually almost got like really hurt in the mosh pit. <laughs> People throw, throwing hard for the heart in the yeah, blender song. It, I w- very surprising. I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. Um, they were great, but it was it. The, a, a pit opened up and I was in the middle of it and I got thrown to the ground and nobody picked me back up. So I was like, well... That's the dividing all of you mainstream fans. I don't yeah, know. that's there's the dividing line between a punk audience and a radio rock audience. They won't pick yeah. you up. They won't pick you up. <laughs> it was like my my young teenage mind was like the punks are right. So yeah. So the venue that you saw, let's go bowling at, was that in the neighborhood? Like, was how did you find out about that show? Like, what what brought you there? You you mentioned your friend was maybe dating someone who yeah. was playing the show. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I f- I found out about it through through the kids' school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did that become a like a place that you would now frequent once you started going? Once you saw the one show there? Not not that place. That place didn't end up being being the spot, but it was like through those bands like wherever those bands were playing was where i would then end up and they were all very much like in the neighborhood or within like 30 40 minutes of my house okay okay got it so did you did you start finding now bands though because you mentioned your friend was dating this person like was there now local bands that you started kind of connecting with oh yeah um that there were there were definitely i mean especially like in new jersey and new brunswick at that time there were a lot of bands that um, you know, played all the time. And I would just, I went to see the same 10 pop punk bands, pop punk and ska. It was really big. Um, 
you know, I, I went to see that set of bands all the time, like twice a week. Sometimes was was the bouncing the like legendary bouncing souls basement spot. Was that like before your time or did you ever yeah. go to shows there? OK, yeah, that was that was a little bit before my time. But the that scene was still going and I went once I once I was old enough to go to basement shows because I wasn't really allowed to go to basement shows when I was in high school um but once I could go to basement shows I definitely went to like some some very similar places and like went to the court tavern and um you know all that kind of stuff I don't know if you know Jeff Rickley from Thursday at at all um not really personally but we've okay yeah paths at some point because i know that once the bouncing souls spot stopped doing shows i think his place like his basement maybe became the next spot for a while but i'm also a little not sure about the timeline there but i but i've always he's told stories of the crazy shows that he got to do but i I don't know if that was like maybe in the early 2000s then like maybe like in 2000 could have been i'm not sure i mean it's entirely possible that i was at those yeah, um, which is which is kind of funny because you didn't really know. I mean, at least I didn't, unless I was like personally friends with the person whose house it was. I never knew whose house it was sure. until I was in the band playing the basement yeah. show. No idea. Yeah, so, yeah. I want to tell you about Persistent Vision Records. They are a brand new label that has hit the ground running. They've just reissued two records from Screamo Legends, page 99, the singles collection, as well as document number eight, which is an all-time personal favorite of mine. But they're not just doing reissues. They've also just released a split between Habak and Lagrimas, who are two bands that I've absolutely got my eye on that are so good. You can order these great releases directly through PersistentVisionRecords.com or through DeathWishInc.com. Give them a follow on Instagram at Persistent Vision Records so you don't miss out on what's coming next. So when did you get interested in playing an instrument and was guitar your first instrument or were you playing anything when you were younger, like in a school band or something? Yeah, I played piano from when I was seven um, and I started teaching myself guitar when I was 14. Okay. And that was when I wanted to write music. Um, that that that's when I was like, oh, you know, I want to write songs myself. So I'm gonna learn how to play guitar, even though I already knew how to play piano. But in my mind, I was like, well, that's not. Yeah. I can't was... cart that around. So um, you so you like when you started playing piano at seven, like you stuck you stuck with it, and you like connected with it. Oh, it didn't feel like something you were like forced to have to do because that you know you always hear stories of kids yeah. like like rebelling against having to play piano because it's not <laughs> a f- quote unquote fun instrument, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely just a different world for me because I wasn't trying to learn like rock and roll piano, which to this day I regret. But um, I I really. I was definitely kind of forced to take lessons for a little bit there, but I did really enjoy it. And I was good enough at it that I could like, I had enough of a command of the instrument to be able to really enjoy playing classical music. So I, and I was, you know, trained in like music theory on piano and was pretty serious about it for a long time. So even as I was learning guitar, I was still taking piano lessons and still, um, you know, pursuing that until I was like, I want to say 2021. 
is when I like stopped taking lessons. Were you, um, how old were you? Did you have to do recitals, stuff like mm-hmm. that? Oh yeah. How old mm-hmm. were you when you had to do your first recital? Oh, pro- honestly, like probably like seven or eight, like probably when I first start. Cause like, that's, that's also very like a little kid thing yeah. when you're starting. So yeah. Yeah. So I definitely had to, I had to play music in front of <laughs> Yeah. other people because, you know like we'll get to in a, in a in a few but like you know i was talking about what was the first show you played but it's funny when i talk to people who did piano played piano at an early age or anything like that like you know your recitals are your first steps in that direction i'm curious if you've yeah. ever thought about um you doing those recitals if that warmed you up to then playing music in front of people like in a band like if you think there's any sort of parallel i've never actually thought about that but that's a really good point that probably has a lot to do with it because i'm not a very like i i sometimes i'm like how am i the person that gets up on stage and does this it doesn't make any sense um but because i really i've never had big stage fright um and i do think that it's probably from having to play piano when i was a little kid yeah yeah Yeah. do you do you remember as a kid being scared in those situations, like leading up to your recitals or were you, did you also kind of feel a little fearless? Yeah, I was definitely nervous about that because I think when you're playing piano versus, or playing piano by yourself versus playing in a band, um, you know, uh, that you're just totally exposed. So I was, I was definitely very scared of messing up. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, and my, my hands kind of shake. My hands are a little trembly. Um, so I would definitely, I, I think that's also part of why I wasn't like, I'm going to become a concert pianist. Like it, me performing on piano by myself was like never something I really like wanted to pursue. Yeah. Um, but I think getting used to that was probably really helpful. It wasn't completely terrifying, but it was all, I was, you know, you're, yeah. you're a lot more exposed that way. So you said at 14, you started playing guitar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was your first guitar? Um, my first guitar was, it was uh, an acoustic that my dad got for me. And I'm not, I don't remember what the label is. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it was like, gone? no, I have it. You have it. Yeah, I yeah. still have it. I only very recently cut like, a you know, a nice, um, acoustic guitar of my own um because i've just had that one and it's just like it's a good starter guitar it's lasted you know it's fine but um but yeah it was an acoustic guitar because i wasn't uh allowed to play electric guitar um and finally like begged my way to at least an acoustic guitar um before i got myself i i got one of those squire strat packs for like two hundred dollars hell yeah so that, which color? Which saved up for that? Which color was it? Red, red and white, black and white, black and white, black and white. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the reason your? What it sounds like your parents were against you playing guitar. Was it because they were afraid of how loud it was going to be, or you know, their parents had obviously pushed you towards piano? So I'm kind of curious what you think that was. Yeah. Oh no, they didn't want me to be in a band. My, I mean, <laughs> it was like you know, my, my extracurricular activity, you know, cause like I went to college prep school and stuff and like my, my extracurricular activities needed to be like things for my resume or whatever, you know, or like respectable things, I guess. And, um, 
you know, playing electric guitar. Nobody, nobody in my school like took electric guitar lessons, you know. And they probably um, saw, that they wasn't pro- going anywhere. Yeah, they probably saw the writing on the wall. They're like, oh no, they're like, really Can you into please music. Not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's funny. That's funny. So you mentioned, you know, you taught yourself. Uh, you obviously had been already familiar with with playing music and stuff like that. Like, how quickly do you feel you took to it? Like, were you able to play songs pretty quickly? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, th- I, I do think I took to it pretty quickly, and I think from having some sort of classical training um, on piano helped me hear things. So I like I know how to read sheet music for piano. I have no idea how to do that for guitar. Interesting. Like I can read, yeah. uh, like I can read tabs, but like sheet, you know, classical sheet music, no clue. Um, and uh, and so I think, but I think from having to know chord progressions and things and like chord names and things on piano, it just worked with my brain a lot faster to be right. able to, to look at tabs and see like, oh, these are, these are the chords. Like, this is how this sounds. Like I could just learn by, I can learn by ear really easily. Right. Um, right. On well, guitar. Do you remember the first song you learned how to play on guitar? That was like, oh, oh man. Yeah. yeah. What was it? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was not an impressive song, but it. Uh, the first song I learned was um, uh, that Violent Femmes, uh, Blister in the Sun. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's just like the one guitar note. Doo, 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 yeah. doo, doo, doo. Like, and so I, I learned that, I think, at a at summer camp. Lauren, if you hand me a guitar, you hand, if you just handed me a bass right now, it's the first thing I'm playing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I so. don't know. I don't know how to play much on bass, but you, you give mm-hmm. me that that uh, that high string and the open four five. It's yep. open. Yep. Yep. And it's also the one song that if you do that in a room of strangers, someone's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's a dog whistle. You know what I'm yep. saying? Uh-huh. No, 100%. <laughs> uh, so then how long did it take you before you started your first band? Oh, a long time. Um, yeah. I played music by myself and I did like open mic nights and, you know, the singer songwriter thing. And it really? wasn't until, Interesting. yeah, it wasn't until I was 19, I want to say 19, 20, that I uh, started a band with my friends. So yeah. if you're doing singer songwriter, open micy stuff, like what are you listening to at the time? Like what is your, what are you into? Well, I mean... While at the same time I was I was listening to like rock bands and punk rock and all that yeah. stuff, um, I was also listening to a lot of folk. So I listened to a ton of Ani DeFranco and Dar Williams and the Indigo Girls and all of these artists who were, um, you know, they all had bands also, but they were independent singer songwriters. And I was like, okay, yeah. well, fine. <laughs> I was like, I'll do that. Cool. Yeah. Um, interesting do you do you feel like your love and background of that style of singer songwriter has played a pretty big role in how you write songs for your current you know like for warriors with you know like the punk rock element added into it do you feel like do you find yourself realizing there's a meeting ground between both of those influences sure yeah i definitely think that um, you know, my approach as a songwriter, especially writing on guitar for the most part, until until very recently, I wrote almost everything on guitar. And um, it definitely it definitely came from that 
space you know like being able to play the songs just me and a guitar was always the first step and I I mean I feel like maybe that wouldn't have, maybe that would have been the case anyway um had had I not listened to singer songwriters but it definitely starts there you know like I can I can hear that influence when I'm when I'm playing our songs just me on guitar for sure right it's funny. it's funny it's like i imagine if you're like at a band practice and you're writing something and you're like yeah it's like the ani defranco thing and everybody else is like what are you talking about like, like, like what like, why no like, it's, that, it's, yeah. it's like it's like that one it's like that one jewel song like what, <laughs> what? Like, what? Yeah. um wait so did you go so when you were doing these open mic shows were you just going by your your name or did you have like a yeah. name for the project ever no, I never, nah, it was, well, especially because that, in that world, it was like, Ani DeFranco, Dara Williams, like, yeah, it was just my name, um, so, yeah. And were you doing all originals, or were you doing covers, too? Um, I think I did some covers, but I was, de- I was writing my own music, like, yeah. I think when I was 14, actually, like, I want to say when I was 14, I, um, I recorded my own songs actually on piano, which I still don't know how that happened. Wow. Um, but on piano, I recorded some of my own songs and submitted it for the local stage of Lilith Fair. Ah. And did not get it, obviously, because it was probably terrible. But, um, but yeah, it was just like the concept of being in a band. I was it, like, I didn't think that it was not possible, but I, that just like wasn't my priority when I was yeah. first writing my own music. Yeah. Did uh when you recorded that yourself was it like on a four track or what do you what yeah. did you use okay yeah yeah it was on um like a Tascam sort of yeah Tascam four track mm-hmm. wow how did you figure out how to do that did you borrow one did you buy one how did you what was the story I, there I definitely bought one I yeah. did I mean I owned it for a long time and yeah. but also back then for a Tascam four track there were there was like a specific kind of cassette tape that you have to buy for them. And you right. could just get them in stores. Like, it wasn't a big deal. I just went and got that kind of cassette tape. Um, yeah. And, you and you know, you hit play record on the one track. And then you switch over to the other one. And you hit play record. And, it, you know, like, it. Yeah. I just figured it out. Um, that was one of those things that I could not figure out. I had the one friend that I played music with that that was sort of a whiz at that stuff. And I remember one time watching him do it. And in my brain, I was like, I'm just not that, I'm just not that guy. So I, I applaud you for, for uh, putting in the work ethic and figuring it out. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, it was definitely very much like one, one instrument and one vocal. Like technically there were four tracks, but I was just, you only needed two. The the two. Yeah. So, Um, so, what was so then what was the first band when you decided to 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 do music with other people yeah the first band was was the measure wow Um, okay yeah that's pretty cool that a band that was your first band did so much yeah yeah i mean that that band was very much like we were just doing something fun for the summer because we thought um the uh the guitar the other guitarist who started with us was going to move um and so we, we were not, we were just kind of doing it for shits and giggles. And I was just excited to be playing music, like playing in a band. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I hope they don't find out. I don't really know how to play guitar yet. 
Um, and uh, yeah, and then we were like, this is fun. <laughs> we should keep doing this. Were they all people that you knew who were playing in other bands that you just asked to start this thing with? Or how did it end up coming together? I'm sure it's been a long time since you've been asked, how did the measure start? But <laughs> yeah, like, no, I haven't talked about this yeah, in a while. But yeah. um, no, I mean, it was because um, Mike, the other guitarist, and, and I um, both also liked folk. Like both also very obviously listened to other types of music, but we're going to punk shows together all the time. And we saw each other at a show and we were like, wait a minute, you're at the show. I'm at the show. We both like this, like this kind of music. Like, and he, I think he knew that I had been writing my own songs. I think that was also part of it. He was like, do you want to, do you want to start a band? We should start a band. And so we started a band. We didn't have a bassist. And my friend Fid played drum. Like he started on drums, but he also didn't really know how to play drums. But he had been in this band, The Scarlet Letter. So here, here I was with my friend Mike, who I was like pretty comfortable with. Yeah. And then this guy who was like older than me and had been in bands. And I was like, oh, this is intimidating. I was like, you know, I was yeah. I was definitely very intimidated by it. But it 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 took somebody else being like, hey, do you want to do this? Like, I don't think I ever would have put myself out there. Like Interesting. Necessarily. Yeah. It's funny when I was looking around and I actually saw that he played in the Scarlet Letter. I was like, wait, the band that has like a split seven inch with like the assistant, like the screamo yeah. sort of band. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I'm familiar. I have that seven inch somewhere yeah. here. Um, so how long were you all a band before you went to record? Was the first thing that came out that first LP, the uh, historical fiction yes. record? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Yeah, I okay. want to say that that was the first thing. Was that the first time that you recorded in a studio setting? Yeah, um I you know what? Okay, I take that back. I think the first thing we ever recorded was the Union Pool 7-inch. Okay. I think. But either way, it was like this very much around the same time and and yeah, that was that was the first time I had I had ever been in like an actual studio. And with clicking around and like looking around, it looked like the band, you know, I don't want to say com like all the time, but it looked like majority of the time recorded with Chris Pierce. Yes. Is that fair to say? Like, and how did this person come into your life? Was that just like the go-to person in your area? Yeah. Was, yeah. He was just the guy. Sure. Was, yeah. I mean, and, and uh, cause Fid knew him, you know, like other, other people in our scene had, had all recorded with him. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. And what was it like for you going into that studio the first time and like, you know, doing that? Was that something that you took to? Was it something that made you feel nervous? Like, what do you remember from it the first time? Um, I was definitely really nervous and was just excited to be there. You know, like it was, it was definitely really exciting, but I think I like, it, it was definitely fun and I at the time was like stoked on what we were recording you know um, yeah and we were recording to tape which is insane wow yeah um, that ain't cheap nope <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we got the money or where it went like you know like I have looking back I'm like what were we doing um, sure but yeah so we were recording to tape so that was it was really it, it was a really very specific type of recording experience i do think that i was mansplained to uh from here till next tuesday and was told that i was wrong constantly 
and uh you know still to this day hate some of my guitar tone that i protested then um so it was not great um and you know i it it like kills me like i can't i it, it you know and I, and I think that that, that as a first experience definitely colored like how I go into really like everything now and how Warriors is like my project. I do not, I mean, like I, I really like collaborating with people, but could not give a shit less if right. you disagree with like, if, if I think it sounds one way, you know, yeah, um, that because I just, I never... I was never right, you know. Right. And and from 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 a recording from from the engineer standpoint, my I've, my bandmates were all pretty cool, cool about it more more or less. But sure, sure. Were you? Did you find yourself then like as going on like when you'd enter a studio? Did you find yourself like instinctually having your guard up? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, but um, but I didn't. We didn't really. I didn't have the opportunity to record um with with anyone else until warriors and the first person we recorded with um was my friend steve at i want to say it's permanent hearing damage i'm kind of forgetting the name of the studio but so like i knew him and he was super friendly and did not have any of that vibe at all of you know being the guy that knew all the things and was going to tell me how to send, you know, like it was, it was much more chill. Um, and same thing with, um, Mark, Mark Jacob Hudson. Um, one of my favorite people who recorded, uh, uh, our, our first two records, just so nice and so helpful. Um, that, but it, but it was always very striking to me that that was very, very different from my first, uh, experiences in, in the studio so. for sure no for sure i, I could uh, it's it's such a bummer how one thing can just kind of hinder how you feel about something that's so important to the process you know yeah. like going forward to where like without even realizing it maybe you're already stressed out or aggravated when you enter that situation because mm-hmm. you're expecting it to happen again and it's, yeah yeah i can you know i i can only imagine and so what was, I, I don't, before we skip too far ahead, what was the first show that that band played and what was that like for you? Uh, I was trying to think about this and I don't entirely remember the exact first show, but it was definitely in a basement. Okay. Um, it, you know, it was, we, and I don't think we, we had a, ba- I don't think we had a bassist. I think we, when we played our first show, we didn't have a bassist yet. Fair. Um, and it was fun. I mean, it was like all our friends showed up, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was just like a fun house show and we had been practicing. I think if my memory is serving me correctly, we had been practicing in that basement. So like the kids that lived at that house were like, Oh, like we've been listening to this band. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. You know, uh, makes setting yeah, up like, easy. We'll yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. I was definitely scared, you know, um, that was really intimidating. I couldn't hear myself. You don't that's have monitors fr- in a basement. The first thing I was going to bring up. It's so funny oh, no. how, how, uh, 
just those situations is as charming and as fun as they always are. It's just like as a vocalist, you're just you're lost. That ain't happening. Yeah, I had to relearn how to sing like later, later on that I was like, oh, I've been singing in a band for like seven years and have not learned how to actually sing and play guitar at the same time because you're just like yelling you're shouting you're just you're basically just fighting the sound yeah yeah Yeah. you're just competing basically um interesting and so then what was the first tour you ever did the first tour we did we just i don't know where we found a van there was a van but we booked our own shows and it was like maybe a week two weeks of shows um we're already not getting along uh i remember it being fun in general sure um how far it was definitely like road trip with friends did you go south or did you go west which way do you remember where you went i think we went west i think we went west and north so like i think we played in ohio maybe but like we played in buffalo Okay. Um, and yeah, I want to say we went like north, north and west. I don't entirely remember, but it was sure. definitely like it was very, just like calling up your friends. Yeah. You know, or the other band, especially because so many bands played New Brunswick. We knew people in all these other cities that were like, "Hey, like we played together a couple weeks ago. Can we play another? You know, just that kind of stuff." Yeah. So though though you mentioned you weren't maybe getting along that well, did you get the bug for it? And is it something that to this day yeah. like you you still enjoy? Like, did you did you come home and say I want to do that again? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Sure. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. I some still. Of, some I don't of know, us like just have that brain damage where you come home from an uncomfortable situation and you say I can't wait to do that again. Yeah. Or it's like I think it's like well that could be better. Like uh, we could do, we could do, I'll do it better next time. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like just playing. I think that's the thing. It's like playing music to me is always the most fun. Yeah. And, um, yeah, definitely came home from that. I was like, well, I guess, I guess I'm doing this now. I guess this is what my life looks like. Yeah. Something that struck me about the measure is that, uh, you only did two LPs, but you did so many Ugh. EPs, so many seven so inches. So many. I don't know that I've seen a band, maybe other than like Fucked Up, that yeah. has that many singles. Like I was stunned um, by that. Um, ex- I guess what I'm getting at is explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So we had three songwriters in the band. Or, I mean, really, everybody in the band could write songs. But um, we had, yeah, we had three songwriters to start out. And then as the band went on and and the original guitarist, Mike, wasn't in the band anymore, um, Fid is a very prolific songwriter. So he he also has another band, Hat Rabbits, uh, now that I think he's working on a triple LP. Like he is a seriously prolific songwriter. So as much as I was writing, I was writing songs for the band and... I sang on all of my songs, but then I also sang on some of Fid and Mike's songs. And um, so it wasn't it wasn't that my band had 8,000 seven inches. It, it was we, we were like 
many bands worth of songwriters all yeah. like just trying to make stuff and 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 fid was real like a big driver of like we should do another let's do another seven inch let's do a split with this band let's do a split with that band because like that's how things worked at that point you know like yeah. that's how you got people to know about your band that's how you put out music is it was a lot of split seven inches and then we would collect them all so yeah no yeah. i mean as a vinyl idiot i <laughs> i love it and i i i you know i miss the days of split seven inches so much and i was just so taken back by like oh my god yeah. this is mm-hmm. so many seven inches and only two lps which is just so yeah. amazing that it was like there wasn't as far as i could tell a conversation where at some point where you're like maybe we should just save up like 12 of these songs and just make an lp no but we always had more songs like we always right. had more that was never a problem that's so funny that's yeah. so so funny um so you ended up you know doing the second lp well what's first so how did you end up meeting the people that do don giovanni because the first lp is on don giovanni who you ended up working with for warriors later down the line and then uh, also you got to put out a record on No Idea, which I have to imagine was a pretty big, exciting moment, considering the genre that you were a part of, like No Idea is sort of like the top echelon of all of that sort of stuff. Um, but how did you find Don Giovanni and where did that relationship Well, Don Giovanni was definitely a very like New Brunswick record label. So Joe um, was a, a f- just like a friend from shows and that was when the label was really just starting out and it was very much like well i'm just going to put out records by my friends and um so the first the first lp actually came out um on both don giovanni and salinas um and 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 marco who runs salinas is still putting out records also and still does great work and you know like i i feel like those two labels have um or, you know, at a certain point, it had very similar families of bands, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. It, when I think of, like, the Crutchfield sisters, yeah. I think of both of those labels, like Waxahachie, mm-hmm. Swearing, all that stuff. Yeah, it came out on both. Yeah, yeah. So, but the first, that was the thing. It's like, the first album, we didn't know if we were going to keep being a band. So, you know, it, I think, like, we put in money, and then Don Giovanni and Salinas helped us split it just to, like, put it out, just to get it pressed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then how was getting to do the no idea that was the first thing that you put out with this band, the LP or did, I don't know if I caught, was there a seven inch or two that was put on on no idea? I don't know. I don't think there was a seven inch. Um, it was just the album. And honestly, I think like we just played fest so many times and like would go play, uh, Gainesville on tour Mm -hmm. a couple times that I think we had like a meeting with them i don't even really know how it happened necessarily because we didn't from what i remember i don't think we necessarily pursued them specifically as much as we definitely wanted it to happen i don't remember being like hey will you put out our record like i think we just kind of had a conversation about it and and yeah, I mean, I would, that's how those labels worked. It was very much like, we're just kind of going to loosely talk about this thing. And then one day your record's going to exist. And yeah. It yeah. Was... You play, you play fast enough times and then you just wake up one day and your LP is just, it's, it's on no idea. I th- yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like, it's, it's like you say no idea in the mirror five times and yeah. <laughs> it, it happens. Um, yeah. A PBR yeah. shows up on your, on your, uh, <laughs> 
on your bathroom sink and then yeah. your LP, your LP is delivered to your front door. Um, <laughs> that's really funny. So, uh, that band stops. How long after that band did you start doing, start writing stuff for warriors? So what were you already starting to write mm-hmm. those songs? Like, was that band already starting to form? Yeah, Warriors was already a side project. So I started Warriors with a couple friends of mine just as my way of like, I've only been in one band. I've been in one band with ostensibly one group of people. Why don't I do something different? Um, And yeah, it was really it was really just a side project. And then when the measure broke up, I was like, well, I guess I guess this is the thing now. Um, And it just it just sort of slowly just turned into my thing yeah um, yeah uh the first lp you did with laura jane grace which is pretty cool that's that's yeah. uh that had to have been pretty exciting how did that collaboration come together was laura somebody that you had played shows with in the past like someone that you knew leading into that or was that just like a cold call do you want to do this sort of situation yeah it was it was definitely a cold call i mean we had kind of been in the same place at the same time quite a bit um I, we had definitely met at some point but we didn't know each i wouldn't yet yeah, i don't think she would have remembered me necessarily and um i really wanted to have a producer on on that first record um even if it was just like i just i want to work with a specific engineer or, or somebody who's made other records that i really like you know just i wanted another set of hands in it and um, it was actually Joe at Don Giovanni who was like, why don't you ask Laura? And I was like, what are you talking about? And because she had just started producing a couple other bands. Um, and he was like, yeah, like, we know people who know her. Why don't you just get her email and email her? And I think that's what happened. Wow. Um, yeah. Was, so, this, was this when she had the studio in Florida or was it or where did you record this? We recorded it with Mark in um, in Michigan. Oh, okay. So, and that's where she had also been been recording a lot of stuff. Like that was her suggestion of of and because Mark was Mark recorded them, but then also um, was doing sound for them on tour. So we basically did played like nine shows with Against Me, and then immediately drove to Michigan to record the record. So it was all like kind of part of working with her was like, okay, well, like uh, she'll produce the record and then we'll go to the studio that she wants with the person that she wants. And then, and, you know, was it, so was Laura's role a big part of like song structure and like, like going over like what the songs you've already written were, or were you collaborating on songs together, like from the ground up? What was, uh, what was that like? Um, well, we were, de- we were collaborating on songs that I had already written, but, um, it was very much, you know, like sending sending her demos and the lyrics. And then like while we were on the tour, we would kind of like break away every once in a while and like go over the songs and she would make suggestions and be like, what about this? What about that? And um, definitely, I think much more than like a, a traditional producer would do. It was very much from a songwriting standpoint. So I don't think that there weren't many songs that like drastically changed um, but there were, there were definitely, um, a, there was a lot of collaboration happening with song structure and harmonies and guitar lines and stuff. And just like, okay, what about just like shooting stuff back and forth? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 
Um, how did it feel to put out that LP though? Like after everything that, you know, after being in this band, uh, after being in the measure for so, so long, and now you have your, your first LP with, with warriors coming out. Like, was, was that, great. yeah. How did, how did that feel? What was that situation like for you? Oh, I was so happy. About it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just like a big step up for me and I was just, I was really excited to have had the opportunity to spend because we basically spent, I want to say two weeks in Michigan and the studio Rancho Recordo for anyone who's looking for a place to record. Oh my God. My favorite place. <laughs> um, I, I want to live and write music there. And cause we, we just stayed there. There were, there were bunk beds and we all stayed there for two weeks and would like wake up in the morning and start working on stuff and where, where, stay in up late, you know, it? like, um, it's in, um, oh my God, I want to say Flint and it's not, um, so it's by Detroit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll remember, but no, you're yeah. fine. Uh, so cause yeah, you ended up doing the next LP there too, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so 100%. clearly you were like, I need to go back there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it? What was that second time going there? Like, was it? Were you, I don't know if you were nervous going into doing the first LP, but I'm sure, was that your first time working with Mark Hudson? Yeah. The the first LP was, yeah, my first my first time working with him. So I'm sure like going back to Mark after you've already had this rapport with, with them was probably, you know, a more comfortable experience. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, and I mean, that was, that was just such a big part of it. You know, it's like, I, I just, I wanted to, I, I knew that if, you know, um, we made another record that I wanted it to be with Mark. So, Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, workcoffeebar.com. I don't know how deep into the into the stress of it you, we have to get into, but you had signed <laughs> to side one dummy, which then eventually ended up folding. Um, with that situation, like had I, I guess because I, I mean I had so many other friends who were also mm-hmm. affected by when side one more or less or whatever the hell closed or didn't close or whatever whatever the situation yeah, was uh, was like did. Because I know it got reissued by 6131. Had the record come out and at least gotten a push before that all kind of folded? Yes. Or did you have to like sort of recalibrate and start kind of start from scratch with that LP again? No, it had come out. It, okay. it came out in September and we got the call from side one in like January. So that was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it had it had come out and... Um, you know, been promoted by them and things were moving along. Um, and, and so we, that's the thing. It's like, we had, we had had the opportunity to kind of see how the record was doing. And, 
Um, that's at least a so, godsend that like you at least had a few months there and the lead up yeah. to it to have come out as opposed to like it was supposed to come out in November and then now you didn't, you know, you were sort of left. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then, I mean, so it was it, it was reissued by 6131, um, but it was definitely a weird, weird timing. You know, most totally. bands wouldn't be trying to repress a record on a new label six months after it gets released unless it's like for a completely wild reason and yeah, this was just yeah. like normal record it's doing fine <laughs> you know um so yeah uh what so how long after survival pop did you start writing the next one like was i, I mean <clears throat> i just i'm putting myself in your shoes and i can imagine yeah. with that situation happening like it's hard not to feel a little defeated and a little lost did you find yourself being feeling that way or were you motivated to be like fuck it let's move on to the next thing yeah i was i was definitely very much like okay let's just go do the next thing um it, it definitely took me a little while like i think yeah. well we're on 6131 we signed with them for two albums um so i was like okay well I, we get to put out another one so yeah. let's see what we can do and um and and that was definitely one that i really put like everything i had behind it um yeah you know and we we got to work with john and yellow on that one um which is really the only reason i didn't go back to to rancho recordo with mark just because like we couldn't afford to do both um but we recorded that and then it came out in march of 2020 so if you want to talk about feeling defeated yeah uh yeah that <sighs> was awful um do not recommend yeah uh, no no so, i mean it, it, yeah it's when i was when i was noticing things like this i was just like i i i reply i applaud you for keeping the <laughs> band together and wanting to still play music because you've you've dealt with a lot of very stressful situations you know where one thing after another it's it's sort of been working against you but i i i applaud anyone who continues to to push through and be like fuck it because it's obviously something you very much love to do you know yeah yeah and it's it's it has been really interesting to have these these sort of things happen because i'm just like well but those are that's not my fault you know like the, the, you know yeah, none of this is like, your fault none of it's my fault yeah uh, so it's like well i think i could we could have a better situation yeah it's like that first sort it's like i could do better than that yeah sure um uh, so. just, before, just because I want to make sure I, I get this covered. So, um, have you done the art for the majority of the releases of things that you've put out? Like, did you do the art for most of the stuff on the measure or all of the stuff on the measure? All of the stuff. All, wow. All and, of it. Yeah. and all the warrior stuff and as well. All the warrior stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Was that something that with the measure that sort of just fell into place or is that something that you elected yourself where you're like, I'm going to do all of this? I think, uh, yeah, we, we like elected to have me make all of it, especially because with all of the seven inches, they all have a cover star. It's very, very Smith's style. Um, and, and it was in my drawing style that I was doing at the time on, on top of like newspaper collages. So it was, it was very much a conscious decision to have all of our art, not only just be something that I made, but in this, in this very specific visual vocabulary for everything yeah when it came to then now doing art for warriors were you conscious of like i want to make sure it looks different like 
or did did that even come into your mind at all that 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 wasn't a conscious decision um i think i i was excited to have it look more like the the art that i was making at that time um because obviously it's, you know things evolve and and you start working a little differently as the years go on so yeah. i i think it was it was just more like okay like well what well, well, do i want to make now um and so yeah but it was it wasn't a conscious decision of like this can't look like the measure yeah. but um do you, i yeah. guess i i asked that just because when i a b the two of them all the stuff on the measure looks yeah the seven inches are very uniform with a lot of the different cover start as you're saying like different people mm-hmm. on the cover or whatever but um also it's a lot brighter you know it's like a lot of like big bright you know there's like yeah. yellows and, and all that sort of stuff whereas like warriors like a lot of the that stuff has been either like a photo or very like black you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying so yeah. i was just curious if, if that had come into your mind at all as like trying to differentiate the two not intentionally but i think it just it that just worked Happened out on its own so different yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 fair enough uh talk to me about the new lp that is coming it's is it out it's not out now because i've seen not, i've seen you've held a photo you've you've shown the lp so you own yes, it it's it, I it have exists it. it exists yeah yeah when but does it start shipping yeah. uh september 15th how was this process leading up to it like was did this record take a long time to to write like had you been working on this for a long time like has it been done yeah. for a long time yeah i've been working on this for a long time it feels like a very long time probably the longest i've ever worked on anything um and um it we yeah we we didn't finish it until this year um and so i've been just so excited to have it finally come out because it you know we recorded it over six months like not not straight but um you know on and off different locations different engineers different mixing situations like just it was just a really long process because i was determined to not just kind of like slapdash it together you know um so it took a really long time writing all the songs, demoing all the songs with everybody, then going all over the place to get everybody to record and um, and really took the time to, you know, A-B everything and try different things or like record it differently. And yeah. Was it because I, I can relate. I mean, I we put out my band put out a record in 2020 as well. Um, and we're only right now starting to write new music it took us this long to be like okay because you know we wanted to sort of feel like we gave the 2020 record a fair shot where we like toured a lot off of it now you know but we didn't get a chance to really start even doing that for a long time so for us you know like there's i feel like there's two sets of minds but it's either like no we want to make sure that record gives gets a, a lot of play before we move on to the next one or people who just saw the pandemic for what it was and said fuck it i'm gonna just start writing the next one because that is what it is i'm curious for you how long it took you to get motivated to start writing the next one knowing that the 2020 record didn't get to tour off of like right away yeah i mean i um i definitely didn't start writing the record like thinking of it as writing the new record for a while um and similarly, I was just like, well, I still want to tour on 
on that record like whenever we can whenever that's possible and we um we ended up being able to go back on tour starting in October of 2021 so we did get like a few really fun tours out of that record um but none of them were headline tours like we didn't play I mean we, we played shows in April of this year that were our first real headline shows since that record came out yeah um and uh so I did I did want to give it a a shot like I definitely agree with that um but I think because also because I was able to write and collaborate with people remotely um and do a lot with the songs on my own at my house that even though we couldn't tour or get together I was starting to write this new record when um you know well before we started going back on tour and while we were on tour you know just like all that stuff it it could happen simultaneously so are you somebody that is kind of constantly writing on your own anyway or do you do you not write until you have to I don't yeah I don't tend to write (laughs) until I have to yeah um but I do I mean it's more it's more like I I give myself some time after a record comes out and especially because this one was just spent so long on yeah everything that i'm like i don't want to i'm not thinking about songwriting for the band right now um yeah. so but but then once i start going into album mode i'm i'm writing all the time you know I'm yeah like, i'm i'm very almost methodical about it so I was stoked to uh, to see you play just a couple of weeks ago, and oh, I know yeah. you, you played some of those some of the new songs live. Was that your first time really getting to play these songs in that sort of capacity, or have you been playing these songs live a bit? Because I know you did shows with like Jawbreaker stuff like that. Um, yeah, have you been playing these songs live, or is this kind of like the first time doing it? We had only been playing one of them live. I okay. want to say until until this year so on all those stories yeah we only we only played one of one of the new songs live um and then between april and and then the show that you saw um we were able to play a a bunch more of them um and and yeah that was the it's it's the first time we've been able to play them i think we played a couple songs at that show that we hadn't ever played live before yeah I could yeah. tell I could tell by your body language that you were excited to do it. I know what it feels like <laughs> yeah. to like to like play brand new songs live mm-hmm. and how you know you know I'm, this is not a comment. This is not commentary on on the show but commentary on just being a musician where maybe the audience is not as fam- isn't familiar or like you know Oh yeah. but like for, you could tell by the band's body language that this is the part of the show that they're most excited about. Yeah. You yeah, know? for sure. Or even like we we had never um, like we had played the title track "Trust Your Gut." We had, we had played that in April and no one knew it, and um, and and I think the crowd reaction in April was like, "What is that? Like, what just right. happened?" And then being able to play the song the other day after it's been out and people knew it, that was really that I, I was very that was definitely my my most excited of that that's show. the be- so that's yeah it's there's no better feeling than once and a song has been out for a little while your audience kind of is familiar with it and then you get to play it live and then you get mm-hmm. to sort of witness how your audience is now reacting to it that is 
quite possibly my favorite part about being in a band is like that yeah. first time getting to see how a song is actually resonating with people. Mm-hmm. And then if, especially if it's positive, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, hopefully hey. it's positive. Hopefully yeah. it's positive. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I'm way, most excited for tour. So by the way, I felt so ignorant to, to your band in the sense that I was shocked when Adam Willard was playing <laughs> drums. I was like, Whoa. Wait, what? Excuse me. So uh-huh. how how yeah. long has Adam Willard been playing with the band? Is that something is that more newer or was that happened for a while? Well, he he wrote um or he was he was one of the people who wrote the record with me. So like the um you know, I write all the songs but collaborate with the people who are who are playing on the record on like their instrument, basically. Um and so he was he was a part of the songwriting of the whole record. Um and um, especially because, um, you know, we were still touring on the, the past record. Um, he, he did not come with us on the, on those tours, but, um, now that like starting in April, now that we're, you know, playing new songs and it's kind of the new thing now, um, that he, he plays with us live when he is available <laughs> Adam Willard is, is, is our drummer, which is, um, uh, an interesting pandemic development. Um, it's yeah, it was it was very cool to get to see at such an intimate intimate show with uh, with yeah. that man on the drums. Yeah, because I was I talked to him for two seconds. I was like, yeah, I'm playing a show with you in a couple of weeks with he's with Alkaline Trio at yeah. that at that California's for Lovers festival. Um, yeah, it was it was a cool surprise because I I interviewed uh, Mikey Erg on mm-hmm. here and I think he played drums for you on, oh, the, yeah. job, on the jawbreaker shows mm-hmm. right yep so i guess in my mind i was like i mean i don't think i was expecting to see mikey erg play drums at the this show in la but i wasn't you know thinking about anything thinking about it yeah yeah so then all of yeah. a sudden you see adam adam willard bringing a drum set i was like well this is sick <laughs> yeah yeah and well and that was so funny about that show because like we hadn't played la in a really long time and i really i just wanted to play a show and like not worry about it like I just want to play, I'll just play a, we'll play a small spot yeah, and we'll pack it out and it'll yeah. be fun and I don't have to worry, you know? Totally. Because, you, you know, it's like if you're trying to fill a bigger room, then it's like, oh, who's going to, like, people going to come? It's this whole, it's like a whole it's thing. It's stressful and as And I was just like, I just don't want to deal with it. I just want to have a nice time. <laughs> and, and I had never been to Genghis Cohen where, where the show was and it was even smaller than I had thought when we booked it. So, yeah, yeah, it was definitely, I think we were all collectively like, this is interesting because it was, it was a small room, but it was, it was really fun. And yeah, it was very loud. He's a very loud drummer also. So, (laughs) which I I imagine from your standpoint is, is uh, exciting and also shocking sometimes where you're just like, man, you are hitting so fucking hard. It's so, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. So So. sick. He's a lot of, he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. There was a fun juxtaposition for me because I went to a show at Genghis Cohen maybe like four days, five days before your show. Mm-hmm. And it was a extremely violent hardcore show. Oh, okay. Where like people were front flipping off those couches, like the whole set. <laughs> so I was like, this is a very different vibe. This is much more uh, tame. I, I enjoy this a little more. I'm not as yeah. stressed out about getting hit by a, uh, by a 19 year old, you know? Yeah. We don't, we don't have a lot of crowd surfers. Yeah. At our, no. at our gigs. No. Um, um well, yeah, well, uh, I just before I before we we get to the last question, when was the first time you went to Europe? When was your first European tour? My first European tour wasn't wasn't until Warriors, and we went um, after the first EP came out. So after Cruel Optimist came out, 
okay we i, I want yeah i want to say it was after that came out we put out a seven inch in uh germany of a friend of ours a friend jan um would tour with bands and like like book tours for for u.s bands for like a lot of no idea bands and um yeah and we just went and did a uk european tour um very diy it's playing with a lot of bands that sound like hot water music yep um (laughs) and it it was it was cool it was really fun i can't I still can't believe it. Like we would, we would get up in the morning and go get breakfast and I would be like, I'm in Europe. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, it was, it's just so, it's so beautiful. And I'd never been to a lot of those places before. I've been to the UK a bunch, but I hadn't, I hadn't been to, to mainland Europe and, and, and yeah, we went to, um, uh, I want to say we went to Croatia Uh or, um, like we, we, we got into Eastern Europe and, in a way where I was like, I was never going to go on vacation here. You know, like this, this is not um, like, I don't, I don't think we went to Austria on that tour, but we like, you know, we drove very close to Switzerland. Like we, we went to, um, uh, I spent my birthday in Italy, mm. you know, like it yeah. was, it was very, um, it was very like tour vacation Yeah, you know, at that point. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it probably gets said here more often than not, but it's like, you know, the best travel hack in the entire world for someone who like isn't someone who can, you know, vacation yeah. normally is start a band with your friends because it, yeah. you'll, it's surprise You'll be shocked at where you end up getting to go, even though you might be uncomfortable and tired and hungry and, <laughs> yeah. and whatever else. But like, you know, you get to see you can see parts of the world that you never thought you'd get to see. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Australia like yeah. that is not it's just not something that i even th- thought was on my bucket list and totally and get to do these things and yeah it's pretty great were you living in la yet when you went to australia no no okay. i was on the east coast then yeah let me tell you living in growing up in, in california and then flying like what is it like t- fucking 27 hours to get to australia to land and be like i this feels like where i just left <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah like no. I'm the least culture shocked in the entire world right now. Yeah, this now is... that I think about us, like Melbourne is just LA. It's just cleaner LA. It's just yeah, cl- yeah it's California with accents. That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> um, all right. When was the uh, when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Oh, um, I think even after everything, I think that the moment that really clicked for me was when we played uh at Pusa Fest a few it wasn't even that long ago um and uh we played the big stage like so it was our first time at Pusa and we played the big stage outside and there were people there you know what I mean like there there was a crowd at the big stage for us and I feel like we played well had a really good time um we had some technical difficulties where like uh their their backline gear like the bass head blew a fuse or something and we were playing the same stage with against me so our friends were that you know like and yeah. i turn around and like mark and uh uh andrew i think at the time like fixed the bass head while we were playing you know like it was it was very much like okay this is uh very many years of touring and friendships and like people coming together and we were doing this thing and we got off stage and it went well and we got off stage and I remember talking to my bandmates I was like I think we're doing it 
like I think I think we're like I think we played the big stage and we're supposed to play the big stage you know like I didn't feel like the kids on the big stage anymore oh, and it, that's was, awesome. it was it was just a very a really lovely feeling I love that that's amazing that's that is that is a, a certainly a very special realization when you have that happen yeah. where it where the the moment where it doesn't feel like you're not supposed to be there where you're like oh this like th- this was where we were supposed to be today yeah you know yeah, for sure mm-hmm. oh awesome laura this has been great thanks for hanging out with me today yeah thanks so much jeremy this is awesome And that is our show. Thank you so much to Lauren for coming on. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited and made to sound oh so nice by my boy Ryan Rainbow. Shout out to him. And hey, quick reminder, if you want a little more Lauren, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where there's a bonus episode where they answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Um, that's it. I'll see you next week. Thanks for hanging out. Be good. Bye bye.